welcome to the Cinderella podcast, where we watch and review every Cinderella adaptation we can get our hands on, discussing the same story over and over, until we slowly go insane. I'm Liv. And I'm Talon. And today we watch Cinderella, made in 2019, which we're calling the Surreal Opera Cinderella, on account of the fact that it is an opera, it was very surreal, and it, I guess, is a Cinderella. I think it's a Cinderella, although I wanted to call this the conspiracy theory Cinderella because I have been doing yarn and pushpins for three days. So this is an opera by Jules Massenet, which first premiered in 1899, which is coincidentally also the year that the first ever movie of Cinderella was made and also the year that Lottie Reiniger was born. So I feel like 1899 was just the year of Cinderella and no one knew it. Hindsight is 2020. Yeah. So this particular version is a surreal adaptation of an already kind of surreal story to begin with, because this is not the traditional fairy tale that you're used to. And this was recommended to us by listener John, who wrote us such a fabulous essay on why we should watch this that we (laughs) just changed our minds on whether or not we were going to include operas. So... Now we've watched this and it was so surreal that we've had to add another version of this later in this season so that we'll have something to compare it to. This was so weird that we were like, we need more context. So research has happened. No, so normally you guys, you guys are you guys are familiar. Normally when we watch the short ones, the ones that are, you know, six minutes, ten minutes, we have to watch them multiple times because there's just so much crammed into six minutes this was a two and a half hour opera which i watched once through with talon mm-hmm. once through the next night with my partners mm-hmm. and then i watched the first part again today and then the last part again today about four times so i now think that i have a clear understanding of what the storyline is i was about to say have do you feel like you have accomplished something like yes has this paid off i've arrived at a place of peace about what exists and what doesn't and who's who and what's a dream and what isn't and when things go from being real things to being symbolic things so i have a very strange yarn to weave for you when we get to the end of this but for right now let's just go through what we saw with our eyes and then we'll do yarns and pushpins at the end That sounds like a good plan. Dear listeners, before we get started, we do just want to give you a quick content warning. We're going to be discussing suicide in this episode. Everyone is alive. Nobody dies. But it is part of the plot. So before we get to that moment, we will give you a heads up. Liv is going to do something amazing and magical in the post-editing process, wherein her voice will appear and tell you what timestamp to skip to so you can skip that if you would like it's time travel i'm gonna time travel so having said that Liv, what uh let's like how what where are we so we open on a blue butterfly Uh uh-huh so this is a video recording of a staged opera production so it is a little bit weird because it is a film of a stage production rather than a movie so some of the overacting and facial mm, movements are very exaggerated uh, which can be distracting in a video 
sense. On the other hand, I did get to go back and rewind it 17,000 times, so I, I liked it. Anyways, so we open on a completely black stage. We see a beautiful blue butterfly, which will be our motif for memories and innocence and the fae. There's a lot of fae in this one, guys. Butterflies are just, like, good. We like the butterflies. So into this completely dark stage, a young woman walks in wearing a pink coat over a gray dress, and she has dark brown hair with bangs cut short over her forehead. She's sort of very expressive eyes, and this is going to be our Cinderella. And she's got a little blue butterfly pin on her coat. It's not even really a coat. It's like a like a sleep coat. Like an what is sleep overcoat? Called? Yeah, like a, a, a heavy Dress sleeping coat? robe or something. Dress? Who knows? Mm. Something comfy. Anyways, she reaches into her pocket and pulls out a piece of chalk. And a little girl comes across the stage from the other side who is dressed identically with her hair in the same style. And it is very clear that this is childhood Cinderella. It is a very, very good match mm -hmm. for the actress playing Cinderella. Yeah. And so it genuinely just like is immediately obvious that you're looking at a younger version of her, which is mm -hmm. very impressive. And very helpful because the child will appear in multiple scenes. And it's really nice that it was just instantly obvious, like, ah, baby Cinderella, cool. Especially when they start interacting. So baby Cinderella takes a piece of chalk out of her pocket and draws a hopscotch pattern on the stage and then proceeds to do a little bit of hopscotch. And as she hits the last one, she falls and bangs me and curls up like a child in pain. And her father and mother, very obviously, rush onto the stage, like over to her, to comfort her and be like, oh, poor baby, are you, are you okay? And her mom is very blonde and is wearing a green dress with a fur stole. It's very 1940s in the style right now. And, you know, they comfort baby Cinderella and her dad picks her up and like swings her around in a big circle and puts her on his hip and they both sort of walk into the darkness. Adult Cinderella puts her own chalk in her pocket walks over to the hopscotch, does hopscotch, falls on the last step the way that she did as a child, bangs her knee, and sits there alone for a second. And then the door opens of the set, and we find that the lights come up and we are in, like, the dining room of the house. The person who comes in is a servant girl. She's wearing, mm, think like a little princess, like Becky clothes from A Little Princess. She just looks like a maid. Yeah. Not like a sexy French maid, just like an old-timey Downton Abbey maid. Yeah. She has, you know, slightly stronger features and lighter brown hair, which is semi-wavy and cropped to her shoulders and sort of clipped back on one side. And she runs to Cinderella concernedly and is like, oh, are you okay? By the way, when we say and said no one speaks in this it's an opera they will only sing and we'll give you the actual lyrics when they sing but in the meantime we're just going to be telling you the emotive reality of what happens mm -hmm. so this servant girl comforts our cinderella and sort of helps her up and then a bunch of other servants come in and start singing madame is calling <laughs> and we get our first song and it's delightful so we now have this shopping scene mm -hmm. where there's some kind of very modern looking rich people on the stage. And we will 
come to find out that this is the stepmother and the two stepsisters and they're doing a lot of shopping and Cinderella is holding all of the shopping bags the shopping bags are like paper shopping bags Cinderella looks very timeless she could be anywhere in the past hundred years basically Mm -hmm. yeah and all of the servers tailors shopkeepers on the stage are all wearing kind of old-fashioned uniforms Mm -hmm. so it's hard to get a sense of like grounding in this opera Mm -hmm. even just like at the very beginning yeah a theme that will continue I was like I don't know when we are I call all times now (laughs) so we see the father from before come in and there's this whole frenzy happening on stage where all of the servers all of the staff are running back and forth And the father walks in and someone immediately hands him a cigarette. And they had all been discussing how terrible the stepmother is. But when he comes in, they all stop. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, no, you you don't have to stop. And they're like, oh, no, no, we we weren't saying anything. And this basically begins a song in which they're like, oh, monsieur, we all agree you're very kind, but... Madame. Oh. Oh. Madame. Madame. <laughs> it's it's delightful. Um, and it is a very upstairs, downstairs kind of feel to it. And the father's clearly just so much more comfortable with the servants. Yeah, and they are very comfortable with him. Like he he does seem genuinely well liked. Mm-hmm. So they go back and forth a little bit, and He's not participating in the complaining actively about his wife, but he does also seem, like, very in agreement. Like, they're not wrong, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he gets handed a very long receipt, like, CVS length, mm-hmm. and he looks like he's in active pain as he signs it. Well, he just sort of, like, closes his eyes, like, holding his nose and looking away and signing. It was great. And then this becomes the catalyst, I guess, for his declaration that he is the one wearing the trousers and he should be in charge in his family Mm -hmm. and that he's going to insist on a bit of obedience from his wife, uh, after which he immediately deflates and is like, well, I mean, like in my dreams, maybe. So he kind of goes back and forth just like lamenting about how mm-hmm. much he regrets leaving his peaceful life as a widower <laughs> with his darling little daughter. And he lived on the little farm in the woods. And now he's here in the city with a bad tempered countess and her two stepdaughters. And he is condemned by law to care for them. Mm -hmm. And so he just does a lot of like, oh, why, why? And oh, pity me, which is very effective right up until we get to the topic of Cinderella, whose name we find out is Lucette. Mm -hmm. uh, This is all sung in like opera. And the drama is very high in this. So that adds to the to the anger that I feel. Yeah. He goes, oh, my little daughter is now an outcast. How I suffer to see how they treat Lucette. Meanwhile, she's serving him a cup of tea on a tray. 
He doesn't, like, acknowledge her at all. Not really. Also, tiny moment, the mug in which she has served him tea says, world's best dad. Which, no. No. I hate this man. No. I hate this man. Yeah. Um, So sort of while this is going on, there's still servant shopping things happening in the background. And we see the servant from, there's lots of servants on the stage, but we see the maid that interacted with Cinderella uh, initially is still the one sort of interacting with her the most and is handing her more and more shopping bags, but looks really upset about it. Keeps being like, they have more for to carry? They want you to carry more? No, don't take more of these bags. And Cinderella's like, no, it's fine. I can carry more bags. It's okay. And the maid is like, you're carrying so many bags. Let me carry some bags. So they're, it's clear that this is, that there is a bond between these two, that they are close. This character, the maid, is going to be like a pretty major character through the play. Mm-hmm. The opera. So when we say the maid, that's who we mean. Like there's a lot of servants and also Cinderella is a servant, but she doesn't wear the uniform. But it, when we're talking about the maid, like it's this one specific maid that has this bond with Cinderella where they're both clearly very fond of each other. Mm-hmm. Also, she's like clearly very concerned about Cinderella. Yeah. So the father goes on a bit more about how he suffers, but also there's nothing he can do because his wife is so scary. So that point I have in my notes, this lady better be genuinely scary because if she's not at the level of the stepmother from Cindy, the one who was like, do you think I'm a bad woman? Yeah. Like, if she's not that amount of scary, then, like, I don't want to hear it. I loved this stepmother. I thought her and the daughters were just delightful. They just run around chewing the scenery nonstop. I liked them. I just didn't like them in this specific opera. That's fair. They were one of the most distracting and just, like, not quite fitting pieces for me. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. But th- they were definitely very jarring, which I found enjoyable. Anyways, at this point, the servants have lined up all the shopping bags along this long comedic dining table. And the father is sort of looking in them and pulling things out. And he pulls out a very hot pink lacy bra and just looks at it in terror and continues to sort of just be afraid in general. And then everyone is like, oh, no, Madame is coming. And he's like, great, I'm going to go run hide. And he runs away. Now we meet our stepmother and stepsisters. And they're the best. The one with pink hair is named Naomi. We never find this out in the opera. Her name is never mentioned, but her name is Naomi. I've just got her in my notes as Pinky the whole time. (laughs) I did not differentiate at any point between the stepsisters. Okay. They're not, they're very interchangeable. But one of them is a curvier girl who is blonde with very pink streaks in her hair she's wearing ugg boots with a white bathrobe over it that's fuzzy with like red polka dots and the other one her name is dorothy dorothy dorothea dorothy dorothy dorothea whatever's french for dorothy and she has long brown hair and she's wearing a crop top very short jean shorts over very garish leggings 
and she has big oversized glasses on her head like sunglasses and big shiny clips holding her hair back and they're both they're both just garish they're just incredibly gawky and awkward to look at the unfortunate thing about this is that the shortcut like the visual shortcut the language that costuming department is using to convey obnoxiousness just like tackiness is clothes that were specifically popular when Liv and I were in high school I wasn't gonna say it but I'm pretty sure you had that bathrobe I definitely did the like short jean shorts over leggings like the leggings like that stop at mid calf too Mm -hmm. is the thing so yeah they're wearing mid 2000s ugly fashion like peak paris hilton just Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. awfulness the the stepmother has your classic karen haircut rhinestone baseball cap and she's wearing a matching purple velour tracksuit with golden flip-flops so just yep yeah peak 2000s yep she looks like ursula if ursula the sea witch was like Like, went to walmart (laughs) (laughs) so that's going to be our step family and the stepmother is going through the mail and she gets the invitation to the palace and she says girls you have to look beautiful we're going to be presented to the king this is a big opportunity she doesn't say any of this in a straightforward manner because it's an opera so she sings about it in a very roundabout fashion for a while And we have kind of a heartbreaking scene where the stepsisters are all looking at their invitations and the father's looking at his invitation. And from across the stage, Lucette, his daughter, looks at him, eyebrows raised, sort of hopefully like, oh, did did I get an invitation? And he looks back at her and does a, "Mm, sorry, kiddo, expression. And she responds with a, I mean, it's, it's okay, it's fine, it's fine, expression. It was awful. Her experience just was painful yeah she is also mopping the floor on her hands and knees during most of this scene just for like Mm. peak hurt feelings like my feelings are hurt yeah so the stepsisters ask how do we get the king's attention and the stepmother says like i do takes off her tracksuit top to reveal a lace bustier beneath she goes, love is a battlefield, and one of the stepsisters starts pantomiming, carrying a long gun, like a rifle. The stepmother says, you know, love at first sight is only for fairy tales, and then kicks Cinderella. Didn't like that. Mm-hmm. And then proceeds to give her daughter's advice on what to do with the ball. She goes, strike a beautiful pose, and the stepsisters rear back like a lion on a shield. They do something with their bodies? It's something that's just twisted and... That's all I got for you. They do a thing with their bodies. There's not a better description. (laughs) They make a real weird body shape, and then she says, purse your lips or, like, do a graceful pout or something. And then they proceed to just make the weirdest face. It's not even duck face. It's, like... It, it defies description. They make very, very weird faces with too many lips. And then she says, don't be too ordinary. Don't be too original. And they're like, are we doing good? And stepmother's like, yes, it's perfect. You're doing perfectly. 
they go, voila, mama. And she goes, parfait. <laughs> I love how into the daughters this mother is. This is fun. Yeah, she thinks they're doing great. Yeah, so the stepmother is singing a lot of very silly, like, high and low trills to just sort of emphasize her ridiculousness in this scene. And all the people come in to make them beautiful. The milliners, the tailors, the hairdressers, the stepsisters are getting, like, Botox or something. The stepmother is wearing shapewear bottoms with a, a very obviously padded butt. Like, there's pockets in this shapewear, and she's putting butt pads in to give herself a better derriere. And not just, like, one pair of butt implants. She puts in five? It's just the thing that's happening while she's seeing the most incredible opera music that I have, like, ever heard. This woman is phenomenal, and she's also being very silly. The stepsisters are mugging and taking selfies. And Lucette and the one maid, like, make eye contact with each other mm -hmm. and are kind of, like, very politely laughing about it. Mm -hmm. And then the staff just starts to saran wrap the stepmother into just, like, a different shape, I guess. Yeah. She's standing on a chair, by the way, and she's just telling her daughters that they like look very charming and she's like charmant charmant but in a beautiful opera voice we're not even going to attempt the opera and servants are just bringing in all sorts of crazy clothes just weird petticoats and dresses of just the most the strangest colors and they're all being assembled in pieces like on stage and these are the costumes that they'll wear yeah it, it's it's bananas that they look that good and were able to be put on in that way. Yeah, it's impressive. While they're singing, I just like, what a, what a technological marvel. So the father comes in and is like, be proud of me. I'm on time for once. The daughters go, do you have anything to say about our beauty? And he goes, nope, I am speechless. I'm going to go into my corner and be quiet. He's like, my only hope is that this woman is locked up in a madhouse and then just sort of sits in his corner. Yeah, that came kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, um, I'm pinning some of my threads on that one. So oh, I'll put a pin in that. There we go. So the dark haired stepsister, so Dorothea, she's wearing a dress that is the fabric is a sparkly pink and purple paisley, but it's it's pleated. So you know how Paisley has that nice pattern that you really uh, want to just see uninterrupted? Mm -hmm. Like it's a pattern that works when it's not folded into 15,000 pieces? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, so they pleated it, so it's folded into 15,000 pieces. So it looks even weirder than Paisley normally looks. I mean, that's when it looks the worst. Yeah. And it's like in a shepherdess costume kind of shape. It's... It's so weird. And the blonde is wearing like a sparkly supergirl like if supergirl was an outfit that involved a hoop skirt they're doing something that is kind of like french marie antoinette inspired but but not in any way actually that yeah it's it's absolutely bananas so while all these clothes are being put on they are not only being put on they are being like tailored and trimmed and hemmed so off to the side 
Cinderella is doing dusting and she's got a little pincushion in her hand that's shaped like a heart. This is a real thing. There are pincushions that you wear on your wrist so that when you're hemming someone's dress, you don't have to like keep holding the thing. It's just there conveniently. No, I've definitely seen that before. Yeah. So this is a real thing. The maid is nearby just sort of in this frenzy of activity and she's going through the bags and picks one up and looks in it and looks around very confusedly and does the sort of pat yourself turn around oh no where's the thing and then looks up at Lucette to be like hey did you see the thing and Lucette is like lol I got your thing and hands her the little red heart pincushion and the maid does like a oh you smile like a quiet thank you and takes it and puts it on her arm to go over to pin up the step family's dresses and as they're sort of finishing their getting dressed montage they make the maid take selfies with them. This girl's movements are very demure and quiet. She walks with tiny steps. Her shoulders are rounded and raised to her ears as though she is a little bit skittish. She holds her facial expression very tightly as though she's like very worried all the time. So she really portrays kind of mousy servant. So the step family pull her over and they take the little heart thing off of her wrist and like hold it to her chest and they take a golden bag that they've bought something in and put it on top of her head, almost like a crown. It's like a paper shopping bag. But it's gold. Just just like on her head for no reason. Don't cap style on her head. And makes Lucette take selfies of them. Finally, everybody trails out of this scene and the maid gives Lucette sort of a last hand squeeze and like, hey, you know, you okay? Everybody's leaving. Are you good? And... Lucette shrugs and the maid is the last one out of the door and leaves and turns out the light. By the way, the music that we've had up until now has been very pompous, grounded, settled in real life kind of music. It's been, let me get my notes up a second. Mm -hmm. I had to take notes in like three separate places for this. That's okay. I'm highlighting things to address in the after party. Okay. Yeah. So the music until now has been sort of an older musical style. It's kind of Baroque. It's a lot of like kettle drums and bass and it's it's not dainty at all. And a lot of the songs have been patter songs. So especially the father. So there's a lot of overlapping voices and they're very fast and they're very lots of highs and lows and arpeggios and trills and stuff. And it's very it feels very set in the real world. And now we switch to just Cinderella singing and we immediately get a very intense shift in musicality. Mm-hmm. We get just oboes and strings in octaves and it gives this song a very meditative folk-like quality. And it's just, it's slow and quiet. It's in a minor key. And this song is upsetting. Yeah. So this is the classic Cinderella song of, you know, usually. Usually, this is the classic Cinderella song of like, oh, I wish I could go. I'm so sad I can't go, but here's how much I wish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's usually my least favorite song in any musical Cinderella because it tends to drag and it falls very flat for me because Cinderella has to be like sweet and bland in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is not that song. This takes place in the same narrative moment but this song is about the inner 
torment that Lucette feels and how much she wants all of these things and at the same time how much she knows that even thinking about it is going to hurt her mm-hmm. and that she shouldn't even let herself dream about it yep. because there's no way she's gonna have any of this and she has to resign herself and so the refrain is I have to resign myself to work I have to go back to work I have to resign myself yeah she keeps being drawn away by the magic of like the butterflies and just losing herself and thinking about what it would be like at the ball how beautiful the ball would be and and smiling despite herself Mm -hmm. and then we get to see it all come crashing down when she comes back to reality yeah the line that i've got here is stay by the hearth little cricket resign yourself little cinder the stars don't shine for you oh just yeah it's and her voice is beautiful by the way so she's she's a mezzo so she has a lower voice is she a mezzo oh i don't know yeah so she is a mezzo soprano so she has a lower voice she doesn't have like the high piercing voice but she's she's not an alto so one of the things that she does in this scene is she picks up the first stole that was her mother's and drapes it over a mannequin in the room and she's wandering around sort of trying to make herself do her chores like I resign myself to work there's joy in getting your work done but oh I can imagine I can imagine what it might be she looks out at the stars and she's like maybe the stars are smiling at me nope no I'm real sleepy sleep is the only time I'm happy and then she goes over to the fireplace and picks up a little paper butterfly and just sort of flaps it a few times and lies down and ends her song with resign yourself cinderella and goes to sleep and in this darkness our baby cinderella reappears who's for reference is like maybe eight Mm -hmm. and little baby cinderella peeks over the armchair in the living room creeps over to sleeping cinderella and picks up the butterfly and sort of flaps away with it and is just playing with his butterfly in this mostly dark room and then we're in a very shadowy room. All of a sudden, one of the shadows starts to move, and it's a person lit in such a way that you could not see them because they were hiding behind the shadow of the mannequin. And it is her mom, which is to say it is her fairy godmother, who is played by the same actress as her dead mother and looks exactly like her and is wearing a similar green dress, but very fae, lots of like grapes and trailing lines and stuff but when we see her when the light finally shines on her she is standing directly behind the mannequin that has the stole over it so it looks like she's wearing the first stole so we get right away this very strong connection to cinderella's mother which is incredibly done but also her shadow is now a butterfly a giant butterfly flapping slowly the work that they did with shadows in this was absolutely staggering it blew me away Mm-hmm. everything about the set design was just better special effects than i usually see in movies absolutely so the fairy godmother looks like a cross between daenerys from game of thrones and lady gaga mm-hmm. but in a very sort of 40s outfit if there were elves and fairies in the 40s yeah 1940 daenerys elves yeah yeah yeah, yeah, perfect. So she looks very ethereal. She smokes a lot. Yes, she smokes a lot. She has very pale hair. And she's 
very distant. So she seems fond of Cinderella in a sort of abstract way, mm-hmm. but she's not warm towards her. And given the parallels to her mother, that's pretty jarring. On the other hand, she does summon a bunch of fairies, and the fairies absolutely adore Cinderella. Yes. So these are listed in the credits of spirits, mm-hmm. and I believe there's like nine of them. There's a lot. There's a lot. They're just little fairy guys. They cavort mainly. They're all wearing matching outfits. The actors are all of like a variety of genders, but they're all wearing matching kind of sparkly fairy skirts, which I thought was really cool. Mm -hmm. They all hover around Cinderella and kind of start petting her and are just very happy to see her. They just immediately swamp her in like a giant group hug. The fairies, by the way, also have upside down sparkly shoes on their heads. Yeah, so the way that they appear is that there were a number of shopping bags conspicuously left out on the dining table. And then their heads were behind the shopping bags or inside the shopping bags or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so... The shoes are like what was inside the shopping bag, but also the fairy spirit is the shoe. It's very confusing, and I wasn't like convinced by that costuming choice. See, I liked it. It's one of those things that works really well if you just don't think about it that hard. Like if you overthink it, it starts to break down. Mm-hmm. So the fairy godmother says, Dear child, your gentle soft lament. Like the breath of a flower has touched my heart. Your fairy godmother sees and protects you. Have hope. And she's saying this all in this very high and ethereal voice. Mm -hmm. There's better words for this, but she does like a lot of trills and going from like very high to very low very quickly. And to me, what I am as like a music heathen most familiar with is the blue diva from the fifth element. It sounds like that. It's certainly similar. This is the same voice range. So this is a coloratura voice. So the highest soprano. Mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And they are specifically giving her a lot of, yes, trills and arpeggios and very high airy notes, often sung very softly, which it is so hard to sing very high notes very softly. That's incredibly impressive. It's meant to sort of highlight her etherealness, that she is sort of air and dreams and light and that she is not really bound to this physical world that has like, you know, oboes and kettle drums. She's just wind. She is very uncanny. Indeed, indeed. She looks completely different from everybody else that appears on the stage. She moves in a really deliberate, very regal way Mm -hmm. and everything about her is just one beat removed from everything else so all of that was incredibly effective but also adds to the weird distant vibe she gives where she seems like the most fae out of any fairy godmother we've had Mm -hmm. in that she appears kind of capricious and is just there because she felt like it so what she's decided what she announces to the spirits is i want this charming child freed from all her woes today she'll know happiness at last i want her to be the loveliest guest at the royal ball Mm -hmm. and that's nice but that's not uh i don't know like cinderella didn't ask for that 
I mean, that's just what the fairy godmother decided. Yeah. So the sprites take Lucette to a chair and sort of pretend to fuss over her and do her nails and her hair, but just sort of near her. They're, they're not actually touching her. It's, it's really cool. It's like a pantomime. Yeah. And there is a primary fae that Lucette will interact with the most, who is not the actual fairy godmother, but is just like the, the puck of this group. Mm-hmm. And this one person is not dressed like everybody else. They look like a gothic columbine from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Little top hat, very slick back hair, big eyeshadow, almost carnival-esque movements. Just, this was a fascinating individual to watch. Yes. I got more of a, like, weird Victorian clown vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the same thing. But essentially, yes. <laughs> what, what do you want to call this character? I vote we call this character Puck. Okay. This is not this character's actual name. This character does yeah, not. Yeah, don't Google Centralon yeah. Puck. Nothing will come up. Mm-mm. We've just decided. Yeah. This character does not have any lines or any song lines other than just singing with the chorus. But they just, they interact with Lucette a bunch. By the way, interesting that you mention Lucette by her name. The fairy godmother calls her Cinderella Mm -hmm. in her song. She does. And a little earlier, Lucette referred to herself as Cinderella when she said, go back to work, Cinderella, Mm -hmm. which is a lot. So it's interesting who calls her Cinderella and who calls her Lucette. Well, I think Cendrillon in French, just translates to Little Cinder, which doesn't make that better. So, never mind. Future Live here. Also, no, it doesn't. Moving on. Okay. The fairy godmother tells the fae to weave a magical silken gown and steal the splendor from the skies and the stars and incandescent beams. And she reaches back to the wall and pulls a dress bag. They put the dress bag over Lucette and zip her up in it. And then there is a very, not very obvious, but it's clear that there's a person. They do a switch where at one point the garment bag that we know Lucette to be in is like out of frame for a moment and then comes back into frame. And so at that point, the actual singer who plays Lucette, is getting changed. Mm -hmm. She has been replaced with a stunt double in the garment bag, presumably. Presumably. It's it's very well done. But they they toss this stunt double back and forth, and they put her on the table, and it's very playful. The fairy godmother tells them to prepare the carriage, and I just have it that it's hilarious that Lucette's being just tossed around and just writhing on stage, doing a very strong, like, butterfly cocoon vibes. She does the worm, but it symbolizes the caterpillar, which will become a butterfly. Mm-hmm. Also, the different spirits are directed to, like, you be the coachman, you be the page boy. And they all look, like, very excited by this. Yeah. And that's my favorite thing, is when someone is very excited to be, like, a human person for the day because they think it's funny. So that's, like, a really fun beat. Mm-hmm. Also, the whole thing with the multiple spirits, that's from the original 1899 opera mm-hmm. yeah so the weirdness from that is like grandfathered in sorry about it is traditional yeah i have that it's really great to see lucette having fun on stage 
or rather Lucette's stunt double. But either way, Fairy Godmother says, you know, get midges and scarabs that glitter like rubies and diamonds. Hide fireflies amid tulips and jasmine. To light your way. Yeah. And then she says, wake up, Cinderella. We're, we're waiting for you at the ball. And they unzip her from the dress bag. And it's, it's Lucette back again. And there's incredible shadows on the wall right now. Like, it's, it's the shadows of what's happening on stage, but they're from several different angles. So the shadows themselves are overlapping in weird, fantastical ways and are kind of see-through. And it just looks very surreal. Mm-hmm. Lucette raises her arms to come out. She sings, you know, at last two, I shall know happiness. And she does very slow arm butterfly flaps in the air with the dress bag still completely concealing her dress. And then they pull the dress off rapidly and she jumps out. It is the prettiest dress, you guys. It was such a great dress. She says, but I can't attend a royal ball in my rags. And then they pull the zipper down of the garment bag and all of those beautiful blue fabric tumbles out and she's wearing mm. this like stunning ball gown. Yeah. It's strapless. It has a tight bodice with sort of a traditional V waistline. It's blue, but it's not a solid color. It's sort of water stained blue. So it looks like a blue agate. It's like the Morpho butterfly blue. Yes. And it's got a very full skirt, but it's the fullness comes from petticoats rather than from a crinoline, so it's got a very soft look to it. Mm-hmm. And the under petticoats are this beautiful bright teal color, like this very soft, almost seafoam color against this blue morpho blue. And it's just stunning. And her hair is out of braids, and she's got a little necklace on, and she's got like shimmer all over her. And she's so pretty. It's the prettiest dress. I'm absolutely in love with this dress. Upon watching this movie the second time, this dress is actually one of the things that is in the shopping window that the stepsisters are shopping at. <gasps> are you serious? Yeah, this dress is on the dress stand in the beginning scene. Huh. Like, they look at it. So Pin in that. <laughs> so, the fairy godmother tells her that she has to leave at the stroke of midnight. Whatever pleasures may divert you, you must quietly leave the ball. Lucette is smiling happily. And all of the spirits point at her very aggressively. She's also at some point been handed something that looks like a staff or a very small spear Mm -hmm. and a frog in the other hand, almost like a queen kind of way. Mm -hmm. So she kisses the frog, but in a I'm swept up in the moment kind of way and then looks kind of grossed out by it afterwards. Yeah, she kisses the frog and has a, huh, that's the wrong fairy tale kind of look on her face just like i don't know why i did that and i wish i hadn't Mm -hmm. uh she's very expressive so like yeah obviously we're projecting but we're not projecting as much as you may think no her facial expression just spoke volumes this woman had such an expressive face also her line when she looks at herself as she goes i am no longer lucette or cinderella i'm a princess or a queen and it's Mm -hmm. it's a great moment but then she immediately panics and is like, oh no, uh, suddenly I'm filled with dread. My family will recognize me. And the fairy godmother is like, nope, don't worry about it. This magic shoe that I've given you, which is just a light blue sparkly shoe, and I liked it a lot, will render you a stranger to the end of your family. Which I'm like, thank you for telling me that. I like that. It's very helpful. 
it's very helpful that it's magic and it literally is just for them and they won't be able to recognize you or see you or whatever. I don't care. It's great. So Lucette climbs onto the table and the Fae are holding little toy horses and they pull the table away with little toy horses. But the shadows on the background is of a coach and four slowly prancing away. It was great. It was so magical. There's like these chairs kind of put onto the table and the fairy godmother gestures like go on my princess and it feels like very mocking and I had this moment of concern that she's not going to get the things that she's being promised. Mm -hmm. When you see those shadows on the wall and it looks like a horse and carriage and it does feel magical, Mm -hmm. it helps you as an audience member, suspend your disbelief, and it removes you from the grounding of reality, which is a very interesting thing for this opera to do. Mm -hmm. And so the lights go out, and we get a set change. There's a lot of mirrors, and there's green lights underneath the stage. So there's sort of a green glow across the floor. And Lucette's... Lucette in servant clothes, asleep, is dragged back out onto the floor in sleeping position Mm -hmm. and will lie at the front left-hand side of the stage in sleeping position for a bit now. So that's happening right now. But Cinderella in regular clothes, not in her dress, is also there awake, interacting with Puck and the other Fae. And they are putting on straitjackets? Uh... old-timey doctor's robes? White doctor's coats? Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, so just to reiterate, it is being signaled to us that we are seeing a dream that Lucette is having. And in the dream, she is no longer in the ball gown, but she is, like, at the ball. Or at the palace, rather. She's at the palace now. This This is a dream, and a bed is rolled out with a a body lying on it, asleep. In blue pajamas. Blue men's pajamas. And there's a lot of mirrors everywhere. (laughs) There's so many mirrors in this. So the reflections, it's very dreamlike. Like they really accomplish dreamlike, which is hard to do on a stage in real time. Like that's- And even harder to communicate in a video of a stage. Oh yeah. So this is, this is so impressive, you guys. Yeah. There's a bunch of male servants who are all wearing sort of tuxedo butler clothes and they are anxiously sort of milling about together kind of frightenedly looking at the body my note goes the maid is in the bed asleep no that's the prince okay fantastic so we're gonna pause here for a quick musical note about the history of opera so this opera was written to be a pants role which is where the prince is intended to be played by a female actor. Some modern interpretations of this have decided that that was weird and just went ahead and cast it as a guy. But here's the thing. Musically, what is supposed to happen is that the prince character and the Cinderella character are in the exact same vocal range and as such can sing in literal perfect unison. And they will sing in very close harmonies, and then they will sing in perfect unison later. And it really musically is powerful. Because operas, we expect big ranges and lots of harmonies and 
people singing across each other and against each other and at the same time and over each other. And these two are just singing together in very close, tight harmonies, slow and gently. They are finishing each other's lines and they're singing in unison and it really just emphasizes that they are two halves of a single whole. They are meant to be together. And it is musically fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I love it. But it is confusing because the prince is played by the same actor that is the maid. So when we say the prince, uh, we mean the maid, but the hair is not clipped back anymore. And the prince will be wearing men's clothes. And the prince moves very differently and acts very differently. He's also referred to with masculine pronouns by other characters. Yeah, so the prince in-universe is male. Or at least uses masculine pronouns. But the prince and the maid are also the same person. It's great. I loved it. It's fine. Yeah. So we find out that the prince is very unhappy. He doesn't want to go to this party. And the servants are trying to cajole him into waking up and coming to this party. Yes. We have a classic, sad, malingering prince. But it's not even from love. It's just, like, already happening. Mm -hmm. Also, I swear, at one point, he gives one of the guys the finger. Oh, yeah. The main servant tiptoes up to him, like, hey, it's time to wake up and come to the party. And Prince just aggressively flips him the bird without lifting his head or doing anything. And the servant just does a real quick about face and scuttles off stage with, like, nope, guys, I guess we're dismissed. I guess we're going. So they leave. And then doctors show up and they hook the prince up to these weird old timey faux medical things and they're all smoking. And the Fae are also there and they give Lucette a doctor's coat. So Lucette is there holding the doctor's notepad and sort of talking concernedly and looking concernedly at this prince. She is playing a role in this dream of what may or may not actually be happening to the prince. Mm -hmm. So Puck is also there. And as the doctors are like, oh, well, Hippocrates said this and Aristotle said that. And Puck just pulls out a big old saw to go and cut the prince in half. Like, eh, we'll find out what's wrong. And everyone's like, no, don't do that. <laughs> saw is later. One of the doctors is patting the prince in his examination of the prince, finds a little red stuffed heart. That is the same pincushion as earlier. and But much larger. No, it's the same. It's the same size. No, it's bigger. No, it's not. It's the same. I've watched this three times. It's the same. It's the same one, I swear to God. It's not a pincushion. Yeah, it is. Okay, this is a very silly argument. I apologize. I <laughs> am convinced I'm right, but that seems foolish, so we should move on. <laughs> Anyways, there is. they take out a, a red stuffed heart that I believe is the same one from the opening that the maid was using. They take it out and they're like, what's this? This isn't doing anything. It's like an appendix. Let's just get rid of it. They tape a clock to his chest instead from like fill him full of saran wrap. And then the servants come back to try and explain to him that this party is going to be great. You need to come. You need to dance. All the noble women are there. And one of the servants starts flossing like the dance that I can't do. Yeah, like the, the Fortnite floss dance. Also, some of them are wearing party hats. The effect is very Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. 
in that they're wearing like tuxedos and they're being very silly and it's very like off-putting yes also the entire time that this procedure is happening like all of the doctors are singing this creepy doctor song that there wasn't a translation for so it might have been a bunch of latin but they're just like Mm -hmm. voluminous vassals and it's just very dramatic and spooky Mm -hmm. so everyone sort of sings oh poor prince and then they all leave leaving him asleep on the table alone with lucette and the prince wakes up sits up unsaran wraps his chest and pulls off the old-timey alarm clock that they've placed on his chest instead of a heart and then is looking at it and then lucette facing the prince are you sure lucette because i wasn't sure if it was lucette or the prince singing so what happens is the prince is holding his heart lucette makes the same hand gesture that he is making and slams her hand down and the prince follows her a beat later and puts the clock heart down and then what happens in the scene that I've now watched three or four times is the prince is singing. Lucette is lip singing. Oh, she's lip syncing. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. They're echoing yeah. each other's movements parallel to each other, but they're not interacting with each other directly. Yeah. And it's very spooky. So here's what I think is happening. This is a dream sequence because, again, Lucette's body is still lying asleep on the front of the stage mm-hmm. and we both read some interviews with fiona shaw who directed this mm-hmm. like was the artistic director i think and i think that what's happening in this scene is that lucette is conjuring up like an idealized stylized love interest who sort of matches her gentleness but is sort of like a rock star so this prince is doing a lot of like boy band elvis like hip rolls and guitar strum arms and like microphone hands and pointing in a moody sad boy kind of way yeah moody sad boy i'm not into moody sad boy so i don't have a good example of who that would be can you help me out here i don't know okay hot moody sad boy someone out there knows you guys know what i'm talking about so she is controlling this dream i think no, I think she's just experiencing what he's experiencing. Okay. Like, I don't think she's in control of this dream. She just embodies different characters and kind of sees things from their point of view. Okay. We'll talk about that this later. So she's getting different vantage points of the same dream, but it's presented in such a way as that she's seeing something that is actually happening just somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Because she does interact with the prince at the ball. Mm-hmm. Which is also inside the dream, but in a different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the prince is singing, and the prince is doing very exaggerated, melodramatic, extra expressive face, extra expressive, like collapse in a ball, you know, very just Lord Byron. This is just a Lord Byron person. He is feeling boy band levels of heartache. Yeah, and he's saying, a heart without love, there's springtime without roses, all of my days are dreary and my nights are bleak. If only she'd appear to me, this rapturous, radiant woman that I saw in my dreams, I'd say to her, I'm yours, take my youth, love will make us both divine. Doing like Elvis dance moves, it's delightful. Like it's, it was great. In pajamas, by the way. Yes, 
blue pinstripe pajamas, like a top and bottom set. Uh huh. At one point, Puck comes back into the scene and tosses the prince his like party coat, which is this sort of white gold, sparkly long sleeve coat that has. It's a sequin jacket. He's got a sequin party jacket. <laughs> but he's got the put it on your wrist red heart pin cushion on his sleeve. He's wearing his heart on his sleeve, you guys. I know. But like it's the same one that they pulled out of. It's great. Anyways. He does some more of all my nights are sad, my heart is crushed, I'm all alone. In French, he goes, Je suis triste et seul. I'm sad and lonely. <laughs> He says, you know, if I could find this woman, if I could find love, I'd forget all this pomp and riches. I'd pity the splendor of the throne. Then we get pomp and circumstance. Oh, oh, Liv, the next line he says is, and taste nothing but our sweet caresses. Oh, yeah, I specifically didn't write down that lines any of the time I watched this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then the guy doing the floss is back, and he's still wearing a party hat, and the prince lays back down, and the king is there. He goes, my son, you must obey me. At this ball, you'll see the daughters of nobility. You must choose the one who turns your head the most and marry her. Yep. <laughs> and, then... and Lucette is now just acting out what the king is doing, mm-hmm. but in a sort of mocking way. Yeah, absolutely. So the king then goes up to the prince in bed, grabs him by the ear and just hauls him out. And is like, you're going to this party, dude. You you have to go to this party. And then they do something very interesting. They really do. And I love this scene. So we're watching Cinderella now at the party. She's, she's in her servant's clothes. I'd also asleep on the front of the stage. All of the nobility women are there wearing black outfits. Not incredibly ostentatious either. They're kind of fancy... I don't know, they're what you'd wear to a tasteful funeral. I don't know. They're kind of like mock Victorian, mm-hmm. but shorter and floofier. Yeah, you know, so again, like it's kind of got a 40s vibe to it. It's like inspired by something, but then also like stylized and abstracted to the point of being uncanny, like familiar, but not helpful in placing it in a time or place. Yeah. So they all hold up their tickets and Lucette is in line with them. And she's like, oh, no, I don't have a ticket. And... Puck sneaks up behind her and puts a ticket between her legs. And she's like, oh, no, I have a ticket now. And so she's just next to Puck in line with all these noble women. The king, I, I believe, directs all the, or one of the servants, someone, directs the girls to take their shoes off. And they each take a shoe off and throw it at the prince, just hurl it at him. And there's a pile of shoes on the floor now, except for Lucette, who doesn't know what's going on. The king takes the prince and gestures to the piles of shoes and is like, pick one. And the prince is doing very, like, very clear body language of, this is stupid. Gah, this is dumb. And finally, it's just like, big aggressive shrugs, grabs a shoe, randomly takes it over to several ladies and is like, your shoe, your shoe, no, and just sort of flings the shoe and does, this is stupid hand gestures again. So to be clear, they're playing like that game. Yeah. Where everyone puts a shoe in the middle and then you gotta find the pair. It's it's a dumb game. They will play many dumb games at the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this will all be like in pantomime. And I didn't figure out that that's what was happening until like 
partly through the next game, which was presumably red light, green light. Yeah. Uh, Lucette is just sitting on a chair in the corner, drinking wine happily, watching this, this silliness. A spirit is just pouring her a glass. Yeah, it's Puck. Yes. The prince is being, like, scolded to marry a girl. And now there's a princess presumably just dancing around him and doing the splits. But that's happening on one side of the stage. On the other side of the stage, Lucette is just now drunk. And Puck is trying to take the bottle away from her. Mm -hmm. And they do this very slapsticky, like, beautifully choreographed dance where Cinderella is just kind of, like, very floppy, but in an on-purpose kind of way. And Puck can't quite get the wine bottle because Cinderella keeps acrobatically flopping in a drunken manner. It's just a very cute dance. And then they kind of do a tap dance together. Yep. Yuppers. I have this as counterbalance acrobatics. Yeah. And so that's happening. And then we are still at the ball now there's there's still ball happening more people are coming in the stepmother and stepsisters are there again wearing hilariously garish colors where everybody else is wearing very tasteful black the prince gets hauled into the ball like like he's a dog just like by the collar and he's still wearing his heart on his sleeve and women are tiptoeing up behind him and the pink stepsister is eating candy and the stepmother's admiring herself in the mirror And Lucette goes over to her father, but he can't see her because she's wearing... Well, the thing is, she's not wearing the shoes right now because now she's in servant's gear, so he just can't see her. No, because she's not there even in the dream. She's not there. She's just observing. Uh Like, this is just what's happening in the dream before she gets there in her dream. But also, she's there. Well, she goes over to the pink stepsister and messes with her hair, so... Yeah, but like in a wind kind of spirit way. Okay. So there's like a limbo game that goes on. And the king has a coat hanger on his back. They're playing hopscotch. Like there's some silly stuff happening. And the music is getting faster and a little more frenzied. And then I have the word conflict with a question mark, but it turns out to be a game of musical chairs. Mm-hmm, yeah. And in this game of musical chairs, we go a couple of rounds, and the stepmother and the stepsisters orchestrate it so that they are the three left. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're singing, we're in his presence, let's play up our charms, it's now or never. Meanwhile, the prince is just like, I wish I could go home. (laughs) No, that's not the prince. Who does that? Oh, that's the father. The father says, I wish I could go home. Someone, like, pantomimes for the prince to smile, and the prince sort of just grits his teeth like, okay, I'm smiling. And then we see the child version of Cinderella run across the stage following a butterfly. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, everyone starts turning and starts going, look, what an adorable beauty. Nobody knows her name. Oh, my goodness. Oh, the prince seems transported. She's truly exquisite. And Lucette holograms into the scene. Yep. In her beautiful blue sparkly dress. And I think what they're doing is she's either standing behind a column or they're projecting an image of her on a glass column. But she's very like shimmery and she's not quite there. 
and she keeps looking out and appearing on a different part of the stage in the same way mm-hmm. and everyone is just mesmerized and at some points we see the prince like through her shimmering body yeah it's incredibly cool and she's dancing by herself with her arms around her head as butterflies just flitter around her and mm-hmm. everyone's like there she is that's her future queen yep and we get a funny moment when the stepsisters are like what a rotten occasion and the king standing next to them goes what a splendid occasion and the stepsisters go let's shun her and the king goes let's greet her it's it's pretty cute yeah it's a very fun back and forth and then everyone just leaves the stage and it's just the prince running around with all of these mirrors around him. And he just keeps running into mirrors. He's just... The mirrors, by the way, are huge towers of reflective glass triangles. So they rotate and give you a new set every time. But sometimes the glass is see-through and sometimes it's mirror. Because they'll, they'll open doors into this, into these mirrors. It's It's really cool. It is genuinely, like, disorienting. Yes. Like, it feels very dreamlike. It's not, like, a solid wall of mirrors and he's just bumping into it. Like, there's a lot of dimension to what's happening in the set design. Mm -hmm. And he really does, like, you really get the impression of him trying to find her and just sort of catching glimpses of Lucette but not quite being able to grasp her. Yeah. And at one point, she appears behind him and she just walks onto the stage smiling. He's like, oh, you who have appeared before me, lovely enchanted dream, kindly tell me what is your name? And Lucette doesn't say anything. She just smiles and twirls her skirt a little bit because she seems like mm-hmm. just happy to be wearing that dress. Mm-hmm. Then the prince just keeps going like, oh, heavenly beauty, whose name is whispered with love. And she just kind of glides behind another mirror. They're still not quite at the right angle to see each other head on. So what's happening is that they're interacting with each other, but not very directly. Well, so she can see him, but he has not seen her in the flesh. He's seen her from a distance or like reflections of her. And she keeps being kind of behind him, but in like a happy way, not in a creepy way. She seems happy, but, and also, like, she might not know that he's looking for her. Or just is enjoying watching him look for her. Unclear. Unclear. Anyways, she sings, um, I shall be the unknown one, and they sing the unknown one together in a duet a lot. And she says, you said I was a dream. I must fade without a trace. The prince is like, must I lose you? And he's turning, he starts to get very frantic. This prince goes frantic real fast because he is an extra dramatic sad boy. He's and he's like ride or die, he's all in. Immediately. This yeah. prince is bully in love with Cinderella. He loves Lucette. He is like, no, I'd rather die. Whoever you are, wherever you go, I must follow you. He's ready to just like risk it all for her. He's all in. And she's like, nope, I have to go. I must leave you. And he goes, how can you say such cruel words? Your honest eyes deny them. Lucette sings, you're my prince charming. If I were to follow my wishes, I would devote my life to you. And he still can't really see her. He's still singing sort of to the air. So while Cinderella is singing to him, 
I hate the thought of saddening you. Like, my soul grieves. As all of this is happening, the mirrors behind and around them sort of rotate more and become a giant digital clock that reads out 2339. Mm -hmm. And as they're still singing to each other, they're now locked into these, like, eight tall glass boxes which are just the bottom half of the number Mm -hmm. and they're in these containers they can't get to each other they're singing at the same time but with different lyrics the minutes on the clock are going faster and faster and they're changing around them they're lit up like in this ethereal white light Mm-hmm. And the prince goes, I'm begging you. And the clock begins to chime. He goes, I love you. It's midnight. And the mirrored boxes start spinning around. And Lucette runs out. And you kind of only see her through like the gap in the number because she's running backwards into the stage. And through that gap, you see her leave behind one of her shoes. I love this scene. The symbolism of just being so close but unable to be together and of being literally held apart by time Mm -hmm. was so unbelievably cool. It blew me away. It It was so dramatic in the best sense of that word. And the scale of this set was just, like, grand. It was. It was. It was magnificent. So the prince finds the shoe and sort of sings, you know, unknown one, what has become of her? I have to find her, blah, blah, blah. And then it goes dark and we see Lucette in servant's clothes asleep on the floor at home. Little Cinderella runs in, sees her asleep and all black curtains drop, immediately come back up. And then Cinderella in servant's clothes is back at home, like, comes through the door, and Cinderella in the blue dress is also there in the room of, the like, the manor house at home. And they circle each other kind of aggressively and do a very dramatic kind of chase scene. And then Cinderella in the blue dress gets chased off stage, and Lucette starts singing, I'm home safe, no one saw me, but what effort, what worry. And then the fairy godmother walks in and puts the clock down that she's been holding, and she is big mad. This is an angry fae. Yep. And she is holding the skirt of the blue dress in her hand and just flings it on the floor, smoking angrily. I didn't realize that you could smoke angrily. I thought smoking was just sort of a neutral thing, but no, it turns out that you can smoke really angrily. She's not just smoking angrily. She's smoking angrily at Lucette. Mm -hmm, yeah as like a verb yeah so lucette is so sorry and she just is begging her fairy godmother to forgive her she goes through this litany of all of the things that happened to her while she was off stage so at the appointed hour she fled through the dark and down avenues she saw statues like all pointing and laughing at her their sightless eyes fixed on her. Mm-hmm. Like, 
she ran through the forest and she ran through the garden and everything was scary and it was awful and she did everything she could to keep her promise oh godmother you should have seen my distress the fairy godmother is not even on stage anymore at this point okay. and lucette is just still singing about how traumatic this was so as part of this scene lucette takes herself down by the fireplace and lies down again closing her eyes and then sits up suddenly again singing I was frightened of my own shadow. I was looking around, fearing some foe. And then she starts creeping around the room, explaining that there were bells ringing that were terrified her. But then she realized that they were nice bells that were looking out for her. And suddenly she regained her courage and she wasn't scared anymore. And as she finishes this song with Regain Your Courage, holding the, the poker, she's sort of slashing at the air. And she looks around and the room is completely empty, like Fairy Godmother is gone. The song also ends with her saying how beautiful it was at the ball, but now it's over and she'll never hear such tender words caressing her with false hopes. My happiness has vanished. Nothing's left but cinders. Resign yourself, little cricket. And she cries by the fire. So not only is like all of this now reverted back to what it was previously but it actually feels worse because she knows what happiness feels like for like a brief moment yeah. and she knows that it's worse so we actually have seen this this showed up in the fairy tale theater cinderella where she was like i wish you hadn't done this fairy godmother because now i'll never see him again and now i know what i'm i would never have known what i was missing so like we have seen this before yeah and I kind of like the realism of it. Like, it has to end well. It can be, this can really ruin a Cinderella if it's not done right. But if it's done right, I think it really adds a lot of emotional weight. Well, I think it actually is so in line with how this came about, with the fairy godmother just being like, oh, I heard your sad cries, Cinderella. I've decided that you're going to have the best day of your life. You're going to be happy today. And um, you're going to go to the ball and you're going to be the prettiest girl there. Yeah. And like, none of that came from Cinderella. That was just the thing the fairy godmother decided. Mm -hmm. uh, like, basically on a whim. Yeah. And so for her to like, come into the situation and just do whatever she feels like, and then leave the pieces where they are, that feels very in line with her characterization. Yeah. But now Cinderella hears her family starting to return, and she goes, oh no, I have to hide my tears from the family. Yep. Which I hated. So they return. Stepmother is very mad at the father, calling him a disgrace, an oaf, clod. And they're all, oh, they've all got takeout boxes, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. The maid is there. Again, this is the same actress as the prince, but maid clothes now with her hair pinned back. And she's just coming by with ketchup to, like, ketchup the stepmother's fries. Pink stepsister, like, throws up in a trash bag and then, like, wipes her face on Cinderella's skirt. They're very angry that this girl showed up and got more attention than them. So the stepmother sings this big song about how her family tree goes back 21 generations and has counts and dukes and princes and prime ministers and everybody people should pay attention to me ah, I but they don't have a list of some of the 
Oh, good. Of some of her uh, ancestors. So at one point, she mentions that there's a cardinal, six abbesses, and 13 nuns, and two or three king's mistresses, all of whom came close to wearing crowns. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which are said with the same weight, which, like, I love for her. Yeah. And all of this is being sung. And, and remember, like, this is an opera. This woman is belting. Like, she has so much power in her voice. While this is happening, she's, like, unraveling the saran wrap mm-hmm. and just doing some physical comedy. It's incredible. My note says, she takes out six butt implants. Nope, eight. And just flings them across the stage. And the music is very dramatic while she's doing that, by the way. Yeah. And the dad, by the way, is sort of cowering in the corner with the butt implants over his ears. Like, please make it stop. They're also annoyed at him because apparently he's not mad that Lucette was at the ball. Not that they know it's Lucette. Mm-hmm. But they're like, oh, she's a gold digger and she's ugly. And it's, it's a good thing that the prince saw right through her and threw her out. And he's like, oh, I don't think she was so bad. I think she was nice. And everyone's mad at him for that. Yeah, so what they say is some unknown trollop showed up at the ball. Everyone was dismayed and horrified. Terrible breach of protocol. And the stepsisters are now showing Lucette pictures of this on their phone. We don't see the pictures. We see Lucette's reaction to the pictures. Because she seems really excited to see them. Mm-hmm. And then she looks at the pictures and her face just falls. Like, she's just crushed by whatever she sees on these pictures. And I don't think it has to do with the pictures, because I'm sure that the pictures were only of the stepsisters. I think it's because they're telling her their version of the story, mm-hmm. and she believes them. So they're saying everybody was horrified, how embarrassing, the prince didn't even like her, and she just takes them at their word. Okay, cool. I have another crazy conspiracy theory to spin about this scene okay but yours makes more sense but i'm sticking with mine so at one point lucette goes what did the prince say and the stepsisters go well like he said it with his eyes but he said this unknown hussy deserves to be hanged she was thrown out of the ball by our unanimous scorn so lucette's not having a good time right now she's very clearly trying to swallow a lot of big emotions and the maid walks by holding a, a trash bag that one of the stepsisters has just vomited in and also a bunch of stuff that she's trying to clean up. And Lucette reaches for her like, hey, stop. Like, I really need somebody right now. Just like, please be here with me for a second. And the maid is like, I am super. I've got a bag full of puke. I got to uh, like, so it does not stop for her. Then the stepsisters grab Lucette and make her take a bunch of weird selfies again. And then the father uh loses it yeah he notices that lucette seems pale and now decides to stand up for her and kicks them out unclear if he's kicking them out of the room or the house i have doubts he says stamp your feet all you want i'm throwing you out and this opera singer just bellow screams at him and pouts and pout screams i don't know pout screaming was a thing but the sisters and her both pout screamed their way out of the floor and lucette is just collapsed on the floor just crying father approaches her doesn't touch her but like comes near her and goes poor child you suffer so much come rest your sad heart on mine let me cradle you my little one and she kind of turns away from him 
She does not come to him. Nope. Mm-mm. Nope. Mm-mm. And he says, I sacrificed you when I came to live here at court. And watching this again, uh, knowing what the lyrics were going to be, I watched Lucette more closely. So he goes, I sacrificed you when I came to live at court. She nods. Ooh. And then, of course, the next line is just even better. Yeah. He goes, but you, you'll, you know, you will forgive me someday when we laugh at my cursed ambition. Mm-hmm. And Lucette is on the floor shaking her head in a way that could be sort of rueful agreement or like, wow, you are clueless. Nope. Like, I cannot believe this. I cannot believe that that's what you're saying. Okay. The father is like, let's leave this town where I've watched all your hopes die, where I've watched you be miserable. And he gets out his fishing rod and a butterfly net and goes, let's go back to the heart of the forest, to our beautiful farm. Lucette looks like she's sort of considering it. Like she's considering her next move. So he is saying some of the things she wants to hear. Mm-hmm. And the more he says the things that like get closer to like him actually seeing her as a person, the more she responds to him. So when he's talking about returning to her beautiful farm, we'll be happy, very happy, you and I. She's just still kind of crying. But then he says, in the morning, we'll go like to in love and gather the lilies of the valley. And that's something that they had mentioned before, gathering flowers. Mm-hmm. So Lucette goes, oh, and the blue other flower, just the two of us. Yeah. So he's caught her. I have another theory about this scene, too. But she puts her hand in his, and he puts his arm around her waist like they're in ballroom position. And they start to sort of dance slowly, and they sing the same duet together. And I have in my notes, this is a weird moment. It's kind of tender and beautiful, but also I hate it. So they're dancing together, but she's still not like, it's not an embrace. It's a very formal position dance where his hand around her waist is just how you hold a person when you dance. Mm -hmm. And so the father says, yes, if you promise not to be sad and not to cry anymore, I'll prepare everything for our escape. Basically, he's like, we're going to go, but not right now. I got to arrange some things. They schedule a time where they're going to go. And as he goes to leave her, she kind of reaches out for him and embraces him from behind. Mm -hmm. And now she really is hugging him. And he just is like, cool, picks up his potted plant and tackle box and just like walks away. So here's our warning. It's about to get dark. Yep. Future Live Here, if you would like to skip this part, please rejoin us at 1 hour, 28 minutes, and 20 seconds. Thank you. So he leaves, and she immediately picks up a bottle that's on the table that's a small medicine bottle. obviously has pills or poison or something not meant to be consumed. She says, I'll leave by myself, Father. The burden of my sadness would be too heavy for you. I don't want to see you suffer because of my misery. So here's, here's what I think happened in that previous scene. Mm-hmm. I think that she just watched this massive fight happen, going through a lot of big emotions from this just huge upset from realizing that the ball is over and her heart is broken. And there's now been this huge family breakdown thing. And him being like, 
oh, you suffer so much. Let me let me fix it. I sacrificed you. You'll forgive me. We'll, we'll be happy again. I think that she decides to kill herself in that moment because the way that she interacts with him for the rest of that song is, yep, sure will, Dad. Sure will. Yep. It's going to be, you're going to be so happy together, you and I. And that's why when he leaves for the last time and she goes to, like, give him a big hug, like, from behind. Mm-hmm. That's why that's a real hug, because she, like, she has already decided. So, I think that she has already decided in that moment. I agree. To me, it read more like she didn't trust him. She didn't think he cared about her. Mm-hmm. And by him having, like, that one crumb of knowledge about who she is and what she likes... And what could theoretically make her happy or could have at some point that makes her forgive him and makes her feel like, wow, he really loves me. I don't want to hurt him, but I can't go on living because the prince doesn't love me. Yeah. And so she's doing this to spare him because she's like, oh, wow, my dad really loves me. I don't want him to be sad. Well, I think. That is what she says. His line of, yep, we'll all be happy. You just have to not be sad and not cry anymore. She's in the middle of this massive, newly inflicted, super intense heartbreak. Being told, like, our future happiness as a family depends on you not being sad ever again. I think she's just like... Yeah, no, and she can't do it. Like, she's like, I'm so sad. And it would hurt my father so much to see me constantly be sad. Mm -hmm. I would be doing him a favor if I just died. Uh, Everybody listening to this, that is not true. Those are the dark thoughts that happen. That is not factual. Nope. That is never the truth. Anyways, (sighs) so Lucette is very sad. She's like, oh, no, the one that I loved that I had has renounced and rejected me. Oh, but his eyes were so gentle. Alas, dreams of love fly away. And as she's walking towards the wall, her shadow is now upside down from the ceiling. And it's very eerie. Yep. And she starts singing this very sad and touching goodbye song to, like, the chair, the fireplace, the door. Like So she's singing to all of the things that were present in her life. And unfortunately... Those are only, like, the inanimate objects in her immediate vicinity. Like, she has nothing else to say goodbye to. Yeah. Like, she took a nap on that chair once. That fire kept her warm once. And she's basically saying, farewell, my memories of joy and of suffering. Yeah, so she says goodbye to the fireplace. And she opens the bottle and chugs it all. And then says, oh, how one loves what one leaves. And she sings goodbye to the chair that she used to sit in with her mother. And as she goes over to the chair, baby Cinderella is there now. Mm-hmm. Just like kneeling by the chair. And so she sits in the chair and sings, Mama, you are so good and pretty. And he used to sing to me. And then she sings the lullaby to little Cinderella. So she is now both herself and her memory of her own mother trying to comfort her inner Child. childhood self while in the process of dying yeah which the child seems to be aware of yeah so she starts to be in pain from this poison of some kind and goes 
I'm gonna go climb the sacred rocks, I'll fearlessly walk through the night despite ghosts and goblins, and I'll go die under the fairy's oak. And she collapses onto the floor, kind of writhing, and baby Cinderella runs away in terror. Okay, so she runs off stage, but then she comes back and lays down on the floor, like curls up on the floor next to grown-up Cinderella. And it appears that she's actually come to get the fairy godmother, who, as you will recall, is played by the same actress as her actual mother was, yeah. who has also died. Yeah. So the, the set light changes to green now. So there's ethereal green light everywhere. The giant mirrors rotate and have big trees in them now. And Minot goes, we took a suicide break to watch my dogs play for like 15 minutes. Yep. 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 Okay. So if you're just running this again, Cinderella is lying on the stage. Baby Cinderella is curled up next to her, also lying on the stage. The stage is full of green lights, and there are trees everywhere now. But encased in glass monoliths? Yeah, the, the big glass triangle mirrors that have been rotating, they're now full of trees. And the light is, like, very cool and green and, like, not warm. No. But green. Yeah, it's a cool green. There's a lot of ethereal singing, just sort of ah-ah-ahs. The fairy godmother sings... Come fugitive dreams, fleeting glimmers, like spirits or sprites, glide over the heather. And the fairy chorus dances around Cinderella and baby Cinderella, doing lots of very ocean-like movements with their arms and bodies. This is an incredibly ethereal song. But then the music becomes kind of trilly and almost playful. Yeah, it changes key. So the spirits pick up little Cinderella and carry her off. And then they sit Lucette up and listen to her heart and pick her up and carry her and stand her up on her feet in front of the fairy godmother. But then even though they manage to stand her up, she just kind of falls backwards on them. So they do a lot of this very interesting choreography where Lucette is very... Doll-like? Not even that. Where Lucette is very, like, limp mm -hmm. and pliant and so they kind of move her around and then she very slowly collapses and they stand her back up and she very gracefully just will not do that basically yeah but they they do finally get her standing up again and there's a, a swell to the music and green light shines all over her and she opens her eyes and takes a deep breath and is breathing heavily she turns to face the fairy godmother and the rest of the fairy chorus starts singing, Look, along the path comes a child who seems so sorrowful. The depths of the dark moor and on the other side, don't you see the poor boy in tears? And the prince is there, mm -hmm. sadly chasing a butterfly. Just the saddest, the saddest prince you've ever seen, despondently reaching for a butterfly he can't quite catch. This is... Mm -hmm. Whatever the antonym of a frolic is, yeah. this is a butterfly trudge. Mm -hmm. The fairies sing, these kids are so sad. They're veiled by shadows. Let's make them invisible to each other and listen to their sad lament. So what's happening on the stage now is the fairy godmother has made a magic spell so that they can't find each other. And this is demonstrated by a wall of fairies holding butterflies. But 
the prince and Lucette will be kneeling on opposite sides of the stage, singing in unison in the same position, slightly different words. But basically, they're both praying to the fairy godmother. And it's, it's such a powerful moment of connection that they have with one another, even though they're not aware of each other's presence right now. Mm-hmm. The prince is singing, asking for death. Lucette is asking for forgiveness. And the prince is singing, I thought I could be happy. There was a flash of light dazzling my eyes. But alas, all is vanished. And Lucette goes, you know, I can hear a poor soul in despair. Nothing remains for me but suffering. Let me take his suffering. You know, spare him. Now they can hear each other. And the prince calls her unknown woman, angel of goodness. Because he's so moved by the fact that in this moment where he's so miserable, he's still touched by the fact that someone is taking pity on him, Mm -hmm. who is also clearly like in despair. And he's like, wow, I'm suffering. And like, you see me suffering. And she's like, yeah, I do see you suffering. And he's like, are you suffering? She's like, yeah, man, I am suffering. And they're just like, that's not actually what they're saying. But they're just both so moved by this moment of human connection that they're both able to see outside of their own pain and suffering Mm -hmm. and to care for another person. And it breaks through their own pain. Yeah. It's very beautiful. Like, it's very beautiful. Yeah, it's very powerful. It's very touching. So they realize that... So Lucette... Like, they, they recognize each other. Yeah. Through their voices. Yeah, so Lucette says, you are Prince Charming. And he asks her who she is. And she says, I am Lucette who loves you. And he goes, oh, what sweet rapture. And she sings, you are my Prince Charming. And he he recognizes her just by the fact that she's talking to him, I guess, because he says, mm-hmm. you have told me the name I long to know. Lucette, I am finally master of your sweet secret. My soul has received your heart's confession. Your voice fills me with supreme bliss. This prince is very, very romantic. Yep. Lucette echoes that last line. Your, your voice fills me with supreme bliss. And then they both start begging the fairy godmother, like, oh my god, let me see him, let me see them again, like, please, I I hear mm-hmm. him, like, let us be reunited, and the prince is like, for pity's sake, dear godmother, and they hold the note together, just asking to see oh, each other so once good. more, they're both on their knees, their hands are pressed to their chests, and then they reach out, like, from their heart, mm-hmm. and the the prince goes, you you probably have this line exactly. So the prince promises to hang his heart on the branch of the great oak. Bleeding heart. A pure and bleeding trophy. Yep. Yep. And the fairy godmother appears and says, I accept your vow. I grant your wish. Mm-hmm. So the fairy godmother kind of slightly nudges Lucette towards the prince mm-hmm. in a kind of like, well, what are you waiting for? Just go on. As if they weren't, like, separated by a magical barrier, Mm -hmm. which is so cavalier of her. Yeah. But then they're able to see each other, and the prince exclaims, My Lucette, I found you again. And he slowly walks to Lucette, and he is telling her that he devotes his life to loving her faithfully. And as this is happening, 
he's taken the heart off his sleeve and it gets passed around by Puck to all of the other spirits. And when Lucette and the prince finally meet in the center of the stage, the last spirit at the end of this long chain of passing his heart along while he's dreamily like essentially proposing, yeah, like bowing to Lucette. Absolutely. The last one hands him back the heart mm-hmm. and he just immediately gives it to Lucette. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They sing, uh, love one another, time is short, believe in your dreams. And then while this is happening, the Fae are undressing the prince. They have removed his pants and his shirt, and they've taken the apron off of Lucette and also her outer dress. So now she's in sort of a slip. The prince is in an undershirt and shorts, but clearly like undressed. Yeah, like 1940s men's underwear. So the prince walks across the stage wearing like men's 1940s pajamas, I mean underwear, to a bed which he gets on and stands up in and the fae take the top sheet and hold it vertically up to his chin and then Lucette walks over and joins him standing upright in bed with the sheets pulled up over them and they look at each other and sort of smile and are slowly lowered back down to the bed horizontally and we fade to black and i guess that's how you do sex in operas that's literally my note in parentheses i have is this opera sex question mark question mark question mark so this is an element that's actually present in the like original version of this opera Mm -hmm. in that they fall asleep together under the oak which presumably means the same thing yeah this also could have been like the midsummer night's dream cinderella to be perfectly honest. Yes, definitely. So then the stage is lit up almost immediately again, and there's cheerful music. Lucette is laying in bed still, but the prince is sitting up on the side of the bed, and he looks worried, but it's now definitely her father's house, whereas before the bed was just sort of also in the forest with the fairies. Yeah. And then... Actually, it's not the prince, because as the stage is more well-lit, it's not actually the prince sitting on the bed looking worried. It's the maid. Mm -hmm. Then Lucette's father walks in, and the maid stands up, and together they cover up Lucette with an extra blanket, and he sits in a chair, and she goes across the stage and sits in a different chair. There's all this warm light on the stage, but it's still kind of dreamy and hazy. And there's all these shadows of trees, mm-hmm. but we're very much in the interior of Lucette's home. Yeah. And the father says, since you were found by the stream, cold and still, it's been days, months. What anguish. And the maid is like choking back tears in the corner, just being so ex- more expressive than we've really seen this actress be as the maid. Mm-hmm. The father continues, but death didn't dare take you seeing your beauty. Then Lucette wakes up and she sings, I fell asleep again and you stayed here looking after me with no rest. And this is the father response as though this is sung to him. But Lucette is facing the, the maid. Yes, she is. When she sings this and singing this very clearly to the maid who is nodding and smiling and like very teary eyed that she's awake now and not like mm-hmm. in a coma. The father, meanwhile, goes, oh, my dear child, don't worry about me. 
I'm very happy to see you growing stronger and completely recovered. And as Lucid's direction is momentarily directed towards her father, the maid leaves. And Lucette seems like very agitated and like she's trying to get up and follow her. But the father says, stay here, you need to rest. Mm -hmm. And he looks very happy. Lucette asks him to tell her the truth, basically asking like, has she gone mad or was she mad before? And he says, no, no, it was just a dream. You had a dream, you laughed and you cried. And you just murmured confused words. Oh, poor child, you suffered. And I hung upon your every word. Lucette seems very unsure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she just keeps asking him clarifications. I spoke and he says, oh, yes, about the royal ball and of a prince charming who you've never seen. And you spoke of a brilliant future and a mad promise and the great magic oak. Uh, and of a little bleeding heart and a glass shoe and imps pulling a coach. And the maid walks back onto the stage and she's brought Cinderella water and she kneels by her bed, handing her the water and just bows over her hands. Just like holding it and pressing it. Yeah. Just curled around her basically. Yeah. And Lucette goes, what? None of that really happened? oh, alas, I only dreamed it. And at that moment, the maid walks away with a hand on her heart. Well, so Lucette's alas, I only dreamed it line is sung sort of towards the maid who's looking really soulfully and is now in a different corner and has like, seems sort of crushed that Lucette is saying that this is a dream. Mm -hmm. Like she's just emoting hard. And she puts her hand over her heart and just sort of walks away. But in a different sense, it looks like Lucette is looking at the maid for confirmation. Yeah. And is not getting any confirmation. Yeah. But the maid is also looking like she's trying to follow Lucette's lead. Yeah. And to like... Yeah. Basically, they're just both looking at each other with such longing. I've never seen two people have mutually unrequited love so like... Obviously? Obviously at each other. Yeah. On a stage, like, while in the same room. Yep. The father does not so, notice. No, the father is like, oh, good, you're healthy again. And he, he does seem genuinely concerned for her health and well-being, but in a very oblivious, bumpkin-y kind of way. Yeah. But then we get ethereal voices again that saying, open your doors and windows, open them all so that friendly April may enter your house. The maid hears this, and the father hears this, and Lucette hears this, and they all get up, and the maid rushes to Lucette's side to, like, actually help her out of bed, and the father gives her a hand to assist, but, like, not... Lucette is carrying... The maid is doing the... The maid is carrying Lucette's weight, and the father is just, like... Yeah. Got his elbow out. Yeah. The father brings her a cardigan, and Lucette is, again, unsteady on her pins, and so just leaning against... The maid and the maid has her arm around her waist and is just sort of stroking her hair. And it's such a close, tender scene. Mm-hmm. And Lucette is like, yes, it's me. I'm happy that April is here. I'm going to go into the garden with my father. It's going to be great. The father comes up to take Lucette's arm and be like her main support. And the maid leaves to go make the bed. And as she's tidying the bed, 
she pulls out the little red pincushion heart and from like under the pillow mm-hmm. and she smiles and she just puts the heart like on top of the pillow as she's made the bed and then she leaves and then comes back into the room in a rush with like big eyes worried expression and the father's like oh no and bolts because the stepmother is on her way in now yep and the maid arranges the blocking of the stage such that the stepmother does not see Lucette and Lucette like dives to the floor and body rolls under the bed as the father flees the room. Yep. So now we get the announcement that the princesses are being summoned from both known and unknown regions and the stepmother and the stepsisters are just singing like all of the different places that the princesses are coming from. Mm -hmm. And the maid is basically made to stand in the middle of all of this and hold up a radio which like also gives news about this the stepmother is just singing in her lingerie outfit which is Mm -hmm. shorts and a leopard print like silk short robe yeah and she's kind of fantasizing about what it's gonna be like when they see her and her daughters like nobly advancing like a perfect vision three women of radiant but modest bearing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like all of the things that they'll whisper and look at these unknown ones and for prince charming they've descended from the blue heavens and they won't even realize it's my daughters and me and the maid is roped into just miserably following the physical cues of the stepmother who holds out her hand so that the maid would put her hand in it so they could do like a little mock dance and just like the maid is doing this under duress it's very Mm -hmm. charming how not into this she is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but the stepmother also continues with like and then we'll present ourselves to the king and then it's like the king you have to be the king now we're pantomiming together you're you have to be the prince now and so and so the maid just very stonily is like fine I, I bow to you and I sit in the chair I guess why are you making me do this but it's really interesting from an audience narrative because now she's playing a prince who doesn't want to be there as a maid who's playing a prince who doesn't want to be there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's great it's it's wonderful it gets better with repetition this opera just kaleidoscopes in and uh, like it just it's a fractal yeah this opera is a fractal and it just keeps looping back around on itself in the same pattern Mm -hmm. but also at the same time it's a repetition of the pattern and so it's yep yeah that makes sense to everyone right yeah great Yeah. yeah yeah so also a moment that happens here is while the stepmother is sitting in a fancy chair at the foot of the bed and the maid is standing nearby, <laughs> Lucette reaches out from under the bed and starts like messing with her dress and her feet, just like poking her. Mm-hmm. And the maid is like, stop it. Stop it. It's very cute. It was just a really cute little playful moment. And Lucette sees the heart on her pillow mm-hmm. and exclaims, my dream was real, but hurry, here comes the procession. And she goes, now I'm convinced. I know he loves me. He told me so himself. Oh, fairy godmother, answer my plea. Let me see Prince Charming again. And now Lucette is the only one on stage and she's running around the room trying to escape. Mm -hmm. And she's just blocked in 
And she's desperately calling out to, like, see the prince because she now knows that it happened. Yeah. And the fairy godmother and the spirits appear. And the spirits hug her and sit on the floor with her. And now they're watching the procession. All of the women that went to the ball are now lining up to do the whole shoe montage but the way that they're showing this is that the spirits are all sitting with their backs to the audience like crisscross applesauce Mm -hmm. on the stage looking in the direction of Lucette's bed which is still like on the stage but the lighting has changed and now we get the sense that Lucette's room is being overlaid with the palace again mm-hmm. and all of the princesses that were at the ball are walking across the stage which includes walking onto Lucette's bed and they just do it completely like stoically and we see this whole procession and all of the spirits are kind of mocking all of these girls mm-hmm. and the fairy godmother is just petting Lucette in a like in a pet way, not in a soothing way, but just in a unthinking kind of way. Yeah. So the male servants who are in tuxedos are also part of the shoe procession, just wandering over the bed. And uh, at one point, the fairy godmother is sitting across from Lucette and the rest of the fae. And one of the people who walks in this procession over Lucette's bed is the prince in his sparkly jacket. Just. Mm-hmm. But he's walking differently. Normally, every time we've seen the prince walk, he is swaggering or melodramatically flinging himself around. And this prince is just trudging, just blech, just bored, not a lot. It's just very different body movements. And Lucette stands up as though to go rush to him. And the fairy godmother puts her hand up sharply as if to say, stop. And Lucette is like, what is happening? What, what are you doing? And goes over to stand by the fairy godmother, just confused and sort of looking around as though she's trying to find the person in her dream. Because it's been a while. Like, she's trying to find that face. And once the prince leaves, she has this look on her face like, maybe, maybe that's not the right one? She looks like she's working through something. Very much so, yeah. And then the stepsisters come through... And the pink one looks very overwhelmed by the palace and the dark haired one sort of just awkwardly clambers over the bed. And then a butterfly floats through and the maid is there in maid outfit Mm -hmm. following the butterfly and climbs up on top of the bed where the butterfly stops. And so she just stops at the top of the bed, just admiring the butterfly. We got big triumphant music. Yeah. And Lucette still looks confused, but like the gears are turning. Mm hmm. It looks like there's some recognition happening, but we're still not sure in what direction. And then there's a chorus of hail to the princesses, hail to their highnesses, and everyone bows. Mm -hmm. And then for the first time, the maid begins to sing. Yeah. Because this whole time we've heard the prince sing, but the maid character has never said anything. Like said anything. Nope. And she sings... Put it in a case on a cushion of flour, the shoe faded by my tears. Lucette is holding the shoe and hands it to the maid, who, without looking at Lucette at all, sings, she finally appeared before my eyes, the something. So the line is, 
may she finally appear in front of my eager gaze, the divine princess who believes she can claim the shoe. And then Lucette hands the maid the shoe. Mm -hmm. And so the maid is doing the prince role. Yeah. But she's fully dressed as the maid. Yep. She clasps the shoe and says, I can live no longer without loving her. Each of you is very beautiful, but I'm searching and cannot find her. Nothing will ease my sadness. My lips will remain untouched by tender kisses. My heart has not been returned to me. And so it seems like in this moment, Lucette handing the maid the shoe, Lucette is not part of the scene. She's just helping the scene happen. And the maid is embodying both herself and the prince in that moment. And Lucette, at this point, also sits in a chair in the corner, looking very confused, like thinking very hard. Mm -hmm. Then the court sings, his face is so pale, such melancholy, his eyes close, the king sings, speak to me, my child, we implore the heavens. And then fairy godmother walks up to center stage and starts to sing just sort of ah ah ahs again. Mm -hmm. And the maid seems to wake up seems to startle and shake like they're coming out of a dream. And Lucette stands up as well. And the rest of the company begins to sing, what wonder, what a marvel, this unrivaled beauty. And the fairy godmother sings, Prince Charming, open your eyes. And then there's a gong. Yeah, then there's a lot of gongs and chimes. The maid is still holding the shoe and turns around and sees Lucette and sings, it's you, it's my Lucette. Lucette goes, it's Cinderella. It's just poor Cinderella. Yeah. And then Lucette sings, You're my prince charming, come back to life. Oh, my prince, see my longing, take back your bleeding heart. And she's choking down tears, like her eyes are full of tears, and she just hands the heart back to the prince because the maid prince. Because I think what's happening is that the prince is dying of melancholy. And in the universe in which this was written Lucette is like oh no uh obviously he's not doing well I've stolen his heart he probably needs that oh interesting but the prince sings the maid sings keep it my beloved and then puts the shoe onto Lucette and then everyone sings honor to our sovereign the family comes in and sings my god it's my daughter so like the father sings that and then the stepmother sings my adorable Lucette Mm -hmm. and hugs Lucette and then the father sings well so it all ends well and the maid is now smiling and laughing and throws her arms around Lucette and they're they're hugging and they possibly kiss I couldn't tell if they were kissing there was a lot of they kiss before the stepmother says my dear Lucette okay and then it's just so many things start happening that them kissing is not like a big dramatic moment no, it's it just, just lost in a cacophony. Yeah, but it feels very natural of just like, I'm so happy, just like, mwah, I love you. And then uh, Father sings, so it all ends well, and, and the whole company sings, well, thus ends our fairy tale. And then we're just finished. Yeah, the maiden Lucette hug, and everybody runs off stage, except for Lucette. And she holds up the red pincushion heart up into the air. And then she very playfully blows out the light and the stage goes dark. Yeah. And that's the end. Okay. Before we do like highs and lows, I need to tell you the conspiracy theory that I've concocted. 
Yes, please. Okay. I don't think that the prince that we see and interact with on the stage ever existed. Oh, no, I, I didn't think that either. Oh, good. Great. I think that what happened is that the Fae do exist, but they're pretty useless. All they can really do is give, like, the power of lucid dreaming and, like, add a little bit of clarity to whatever moment is happening. So I think what happened is Lucette goes to sleep. The Fae come in, give her a very lucid dream, and she basically just dreams the entire thing. So she's dreaming semi-lucidly, dreaming this prince who's ill, dreaming all the things that she wants him to say, dreaming how she wants this interaction to go, dreaming that she goes to the ball, dreaming that he loves her at the ball, dreaming that midnight happens, and then it basically is one of those beautiful dreams that turns into a nightmare where, like, the statues are chasing her and she's terrified running through the gardens. And it ends with that thing of, like, I was running and the statues were out to get me, and then my dead mother was there and she was mad at me and I tried, but I couldn't get to the thing in time. You know, one of those nightmares. And then she wakes up, which we see her go to the front of the stage and lie down and then abruptly sit up again. And I think at that moment she wakes up, has just come out of, like, a horrible lucid nightmare. Her family gets home, and I think that what her sisters show her on the phone is pictures of the ball, which is not the ball that she was at. Oh, interesting. I think that there is another Cinderella happening in the background of this movie. So I think the stepsisters are in two Cinderella's. No, I think Lucette is in two Cinderella's. I think she's living a Cinderella and she's dreaming of a different Cinderella version that's like a more fun version than the one she's actually in. But she is also in a fairy tale. Yeah. but so- I think both realities are true at the same time. And I don't think it makes sense to try to find like the places in which they separate because I don't think they do. Okay. Yes, but also I think that basically when they have this big blow-up fight, what's happened is she's woken up from a terrible lucid nightmare. She's just reeling from like this thing that I thought was real because it was very lucid wasn't real and I, I didn't go to the ball and she sees pictures of the prince and it's not quite right. And there's this huge flaming row and her dad is just like, and then you'll just stop being sad, right? And she's like, I can't do this. And, you know, she takes the pills and then she runs to the tree, and the dad has gone to bed. The dad has peaced out and gone to bed. The maid is the only person who would have been up and noticed that she didn't come to bed on time or, like, that something was wrong and would have followed her and found her. And I think that they had, like, a fever dream real thing where the maid really did find her by the stream and, like, has been tending her. And so Lucette has been having a fever dream this whole time about the prince who is a lot like this girl that she's very obviously in love with. And then... I don't think it's one-to-one like that. I, I don't think that there's the... I, re- I think it's one-to-one. Okay, see, it sounds like what you're describing is that there's the reality and then there's the imaginary version. Like, in the movie, like, Chicago, you know? Yeah. I'm picturing more of a fairy tale, more like Pan's Labyrinth, in which it's just all happening at the same time and realities are bleeding into each other in a way in which things are doubling up but it's not necessarily one is like a metaphor for the other it's just like two overlapping venn diagrams but also they're see-through and they're hollow hologram venn diagrams if that helps okay well 
I, to be fair, I did read an article on this that called it, maybe an interview that called it a quantum Cinderella. And I've been thinking about that a lot. Yeah. Okay. But then at the end, I think what's happening is that the shoe trying on montage is happening not at the palace or in the bedroom, but like in the public square, like we saw in our very first Betty Boop Cinderella, mm -hmm. where they have to like climb a pyramid to put a shoe on. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is a prince and the prince, I think a lot of things that probably aren't included in the movie, but I think that there is a shoe thing going on and the prince is making his like big declaration of love and a shoe montage is happening at the same time. But Lucette and the maid are also having their realization of like, oh, it was you. It's been you the whole time. Then the stepmother sings my adorable Lucette. And I think that's just because she is actually just has a mental illness and just flips between horribly mean and very kind. Okay. I, I have spent so many hours. I tried to go to bed for like four hours the night we watched this. Uh-huh. And I would just lie in bed. And my poor, my poor long-suffering husband is like, okay, baby, well, it's, it's bedtime. So like, let's put on a sleep story for you and like get you all settled. We're lying down, we're quiet. Been like 10 minutes, I think. Okay, but if the father left, then how, how was she found? And he's like, okay, it's, it's two in the morning, Olivia. You can we think about the Cinderella tomorrow? And I'm like, no. And then this, then this, then she took off Saran wrap. How do you sing an opera and take off Saran wrap? And Garth was like, baby, I, please go to sleep. <laughs> so that was four hours of whatever night it was that we watched that. I was tempted to get up and make him watch it at two in the morning just so that he would understand what I'd been through. Seems unnecessarily cruel. And I made him and my partners watch it with me the next night i was like hey guys uh instead of the fun date we had planned you're all gonna watch a two and a half hour cinderella french opera with me there's no options to opt out of this yeah and then i watched it mostly again today so like i have spent so many hours of my life plotting this very carefully crafted story about like what's real what's a dream oh my god i think i think your definition is or your take is probably much more in line with what the director was intending and much more in the spirit of the thing but i've got a lot of yarn and pushpins over here <laughs> i just like i think that the maid is the prince like there's not a different prince like she is the prince and also she is the maid and they're embodying these different archetypes at the same time and it's just all happening like all time is happening all at once. All of the stories are happening at once. Uh, all right. Well, I, now we guess we do our regular questions. So Sure, sure. I'm so ready to be regular. Yeah, high, highs and lows. Okay. So my high is the procession that steps over Lisette's bed. Because for me, that was so like effective in the way that I understood the space of the stage mm -hmm. in that I was suddenly pulled out of the scene and was able to engage with what was happening despite the contrast of the background and the fact that they were able to layer these multiple things there mm -hmm. was just so magical like it just felt like two rooms transposed over one another but it wasn't, it was just people walking on top of a bed. And I was like, wow, 
magic <laughs> illusion. Yep. So that's my high. My low is the song that the father does with Lucette. Mm-hmm. The one where he says, my poor dear child, you suffer so much. Come rest your sad heart on mine. Just the way that he still makes it about himself is so upsetting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how the entire song is like, oh, I know you'll forgive me and we'll laugh. And, you know, we're going to go to where we were happy. But it's not about her happiness. He picks up his fishing rod and like his butterfly net, like he's still just thinking of himself mm -hmm. and he's using her pain to sort of pat himself on the back and be like, wow, I'm such a good father. And then it works. And she like, she believes him. Oh, it's heartbreaking that mm -hmm. I did not like that. I thought in all of the things in this film that were like painful and haunting, this one like tore my heart out in a way that I didn't think was like Possibly. necessary for the narrative. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm taking this one personally. Movie, you have hurt my feelings. <laughs> How about you? What are your highs and lows? I think my high in general is just the dreamlike quality of the whole thing because it is so hard to do dreamlike that genuinely works on a stage and to have it work so well on a stage that it carries through to a film of the stage production is truly incredible mm -hmm. just absolutely the mirrors and the lighting and like different curtains come down that are sort of wavy so the scenes change and the shadows oh my and goodness the time lapse just everything it's incredible i think i think my single favorite scene is the bit where the uh mirrors turn into the the giant uh electric clock oh that was beautiful that yeah, was just like yeah. trapped by time that was the coolest scene and it was an incredible song their voices are just by the way we didn't really talk about it much everybody in this movie had a voice like an angel it was incredible. And I wish that we didn't have subtitles during the father's song and that I didn't take four years of French in high school so that I could have just enjoyed like how incredible that performance was because he like sells you on his suffering. Like his like, oh yeah, sounds tortured. But also I'm like, you suck. You just shut up. You suck. But like the man is incredible. Like, this singer is oh, yeah. incredible. If I hadn't had subtitles, I would have assumed that that song was, oh my God, I can finally see the true extent of your suffering. I'm so sorry. I had no idea this was so bad for you. I will, will you ever forgive me? If you won't, I understand. Let me do everything to make you happy. Let's get rid of this horrible family. Let's, no. what do you want to do? Do you want to stay here? Do you want to go? Whatever you want to do. I'm devoting myself to your happiness because I have royally screwed up and I am so sorry. Like, that's what I would have thought it was saying. Not what it says. Nope. So. So, uh, what's your low? Ah. Uh, so there were a lot of scenes in this that like really emotionally tore at me, but none of them were low. They were very like painful and intense, but I love them. Yes. Mm -hmm. There was a purpose to them. I think my low was that the fairy godmother was angry with her. Mm. Like for coming home late. I did not like that. 
the fairy godmother is can maybe dole out consequences of like, hey man, the magic ends at midnight. I don't know what to tell you. No, no, no. It was because she came back without one of the shoes. Yeah, but like she had to return everything to the fairy godmother. She was mad not because she was late, but because she lost the shoe. Yeah, but I think my point, regardless of why. The point is that the fairy godmother should under no circumstances ever be angry with Cinderella. Oh, I mean, I don't think she was her fairy godmother. I think she was just the fairy. I mean, they refer to her as fairy godmother. Yeah, but... And she's played by the same actress as the dead mother. So, like, I I hated it that she was mad at Lucette and that Lucette was genuinely, like, on her knees begging for forgiveness that was very I thought I, that was so interesting I hated that that made me so upset <laughs> like that was I didn't like it I don't like that at all mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all right so what would you change about this movie the comedy didn't work for me in that I think it just didn't fit in with the rest of it and tonally it just wasn't there's something about it that needs to be tweaked it's not that the stepmother and the stepsisters can't have comedic moments, but I wonder if maybe those moments could be more in the fantasy that Lucette has. Like, maybe the moments of humor are the moments that are in the dream world. Hmm. It just sort of took me out of the emotion of the story. Yeah. I don't even know that that's a good recommendation. The comedy bits didn't work for me. I think they either need to be cut and it needs to be more subtle or I think something about the framing needs to change because the way the stepmother and the stepsisters changed the tone of the opera felt wrong to me Mm -hmm. what about you what would you change I would get rid of the suicide aspect like she can still go to the oak tree she can still be like I can't stay here I'm running away. I'm going to go to the oak tree. Mm. And while I'm there, I'll meet a sad mopey boy. And we'll have opera sex. Like Honestly, I would have even been okay with her like going to the oak tree and being like, I'm going to cast myself into the sea. And then she doesn't. And then she doesn't because the sad mopey boy comes along. And exactly. she's like, oh no. Yeah, that would have been okay, too. I just, I didn't... No, you're right. That was, like, really upsetting. I already had the idea that she was super sad. Yeah. I mean, like, that's, I mean, that is how the story goes in the 1899 version, so... It is an opera. Yeah. This, by the way, is the third Cinderella who has died and come back to life, so that is officially a Cinderella thing now. Yeah. That's weird. I didn't think we were going to get one of those, let alone three, so I'm genuinely shocked that this pattern has turned up (laughs) (laughs) so here's a question for you Liv do you think you'll watch this again after having watched it multiple times in the last week oh a hundred percent a hundred percent I will watch this again I enjoyed this so much guys you can sign up for a free trial of marquee tv to see this or you can sign up for a free trial of Marquee TV, realize that you really want to watch a ton of opera, and then just keep it going, and now you just have another subscription service. That is also an option, yes. Yeah. What about you? Are, are you going to watch this one again? I think I am. I, I've been ruminating on it. I've been doing a lot of reading. I want to 
watch it again but i think what i want to do first is watch the classic version of the opera mm -hmm. and then i want to come back to this one okay i also want to watch the classic version i'm really excited to see sort of what is traditionally Massenet weird and what is Fiona Shaw Massenet weird. Yeah. I'm excited. I think I'll have more of an appreciation for the specific choices that were made mm -hmm. in this opera, but I might also just watch it again this weekend. I'm getting a root canal. I am going to be in a lot of pain and maybe this is exactly what I'm going to do. Yeah, absolutely. So do you think our listeners should watch this? You know what? I'm going to give you the same warning that our patron John gave us. I think you should watch this. You will either really, really like it or you will be very, very confused. I don't think you'll hate it, but you might be kind of annoyed because some of it is just very... Mm, it's non-linear. It's non-linear as hell. Yeah. So if you're like a go-with-the-flow kind of person when it comes to like watching something and you're okay with a non-linear narrative where like things don't really make sense and the more you think about it the less sense it's gonna make like if you're okay with that if you're good with an Alice in Wonderland Midsummer Night's Dream kind of Cinderella like you should absolutely go for it um if you feel like you're gonna need to have a spreadsheet and take notes about what connects to what i still think you should go for it but just like that's a different experience so i'm going to suggest something that i haven't suggested before don't watch this movie once watch this movie twice <laughs> i got so, like i really enjoyed this the first time i watched it but i got so much more out of it on the second watch because i was looking for all these small little interactions that were happening between the maid and lucette in the corner of the stage where no attention is paid because there's a big musical number happening and there's just too much going on to look at all of it. So I want you want to watch the stepmother and the stepsisters put in giant butt pillows and like saran wrap themselves and make silly poses. But also there's really important relationship building stuff happening in the very backmost corner. Yeah, this opera has a lot of layers, like both thematically, but also just like in terms of like what's happening Yeah. at the same time. I definitely enjoyed this a lot more on my second watch. Also, whatever you do, don't try to take notes while you watch this. Oh, yeah, no, don't do that. Yeah, that was, I had a much better time when I wasn't taking notes. Okay, so final grade for this movie. I'm going to go with an A-. minus. Okay. I thought it was really, really, really good, but some parts of it just didn't click for me, and I just feel like, I saw something that could have been like transcendent and wasn't quite, mm -hmm. which, which is like a harsh thing to say, but I just, <laughs> I saw like a glimpse of something that could have been better than what it was, which is um, actually very, Do, should I just like accept what I actually have in front of me instead of chasing the dream? of a thing that didn't even happen. <laughs> should I just embrace I don't know, the, Lisa, should you? the opera? All right. That I, oh no. Okay. Oh no. Stop chasing butterflies over there, Lucette. You're fine. Oh my God. How about you? <laughs> I'm giving this one an A. I really enjoyed this. It was beautiful. The stage direction, the choreography, the costuming, the performances, they were all excellent. I, I hated that there was a father. Yeah, that was bad. 
I didn't like the suicide. And I I enjoyed working through the non-linear parts of it, but it was very frustrating for me because I, I do like it when things either are very clearly not linear or are very clearly linear. When they are ever so slightly not linear, I tend to hyper-focus on trying to figure out which one it is. Like, Pan's Labyrinth was fine. It was like, yeah, it's both. Yeah, great, sure. It's both. Both and neither. I'm fine with this. Mm-hmm. But this was just like, well, it, may, maybe it's... It needed to be either somehow a little bit more obviously surreal, or they needed to just have a more linear story. So it... Do you know what small tweak I think they could have made that would have like taken care of a lot of that for me personally? Hmm. If the stepmother and the stepsisters didn't have the casual outfits that they did. Because everybody else's outfits are harder to pin down in time period. Yeah. And it could be something happening like now. And it could be something that was happening in the 40s. Or maybe the turn of the century. Or maybe like all of those at once. Yeah. And the stepmother and the stepsisters in their casual outfits and their phones, that's the one thing that grounds it firmly in like the 2000s, yep. 2010s kind of yep. era. And I think without that, it would have felt like more untethered and more magical. Yeah. Okay. And maybe it would have been easier to let go of the idea that like some things are real and some things are not. I agree. Because cell phones are real. Cell phones are real. That's, that's <laughs> like, I know that thing. part's real. She didn't dream up the cell phones, Liv. Nope. I have one. Anyways, uh, it's almost midnight. <laughs> so thanks for joining us. If you liked this episode, please leave us a rating or a review or just like dream of us. We'd love to hear from you, so follow us at CinderPod on Twitter and Instagram, like our Facebook page, or email us at thecinderellapodcast at gmail.com. If you want bibbidi-bobbidi bonus episodes, or to hear us discuss this week's Cinderella, uh, just like more, if you could possibly even want that, you can join us in the Ever After Party at patreon.com slash cinderpod. Our intro music is Bad Ideas by Kevin McLeod, and you can find him at incompetech.com. So Liv, what are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching something called Cinderella 2000, <gasps> which was made oh, in 1977. Oh, oh, I have been waiting for this one. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think yep, this is so going to be bad. <laughs> oh, I think it's going to be so bad. This was definitely on one of the 12 weirdest Cinderella's that you've never heard of. And I'm like, sign me up. I've heard of seven of those. <laughs> I've watched seven of those. You underestimate my power. <laughs> Future live here. That will actually be our bonus episode for this month because we watched it and it was far racier than we anticipated. So instead of that, next week we'll be watching the Terry Tunes Cinderella from 1933. This is the last of four Terry Tunes Cinderella, and it'll be another kind of fun. Well, until then, we hope you have a happily ever after. Uh.